Will you join me in reading today's scripture found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and then Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in his image of God he created him, male and female he created them. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruits of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of your hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again. It's uh, my pleasure uh, to be with you in front of you and to open the scriptures once again with you. Uh, if you're new to North Cross, uh, whether that's kind of virtually or in person, uh, we're really glad you're with us, worshiping with us, and we would just kind of invite you to take the next step, um, and hopefully we can make that easier. Um, maybe stick around afterwards and, and chat, or uh, maybe send an email as Damon talked about. Um, or whatever other things that you can, if you have my number, text me, <laughs> whatever. Okay. So those of you here again, wow, it's awesome to be with you again. Um, one of the cool things about what I get to do is to be with this family and to, to worship with you and to do life together. So I'm thankful for that. As I said last week um, and the week before even, we're spending these next few weeks, it's just a little mini series of, of, of a sermon uh, kind of talking about and asking the questions why and what for about the church and about our individual opportunities in the church. My hope is that these sermons kind of spill out past the month of January. Maybe that's bold to think it could go to Monday. Um, and over meals and coffees and beers and wine and whatever else, as we kind of continue to try and act and not react as a church and as individuals. Because reacting is very tempting in our highly pressurized cultural moment that we live in. And so last week, we began to ask, what does a life of ministry look like? What does ministry or servant leadership um, look like in the church, specifically with men in the offices of deacon and elder? And this week, I wanna ask, what does ministry or servant leadership look like in the church uh, with and for women? 
this conversation is really important um, in the life of our specific church right now, North Cross, but also it's culturally important. And I said this last week, and I will say it again, it is extremely hot to handle. <laughs> um, and so what women serving in the church looks like, I just want to be honest, has been handled very poorly without biblical care. And it's actually been handled very meanly without generosity to what others are actually trying to say. And so I'm going to try to be careful about what I say and how I say things. And my plea is for you to be careful to hear what I'm actually saying, okay? Please don't autofill what you assume I'm saying about a given thing or what you assume my theological tradition or North Cross's theological tradition is saying about something, okay? This is all the more reason that we begin a sermon by praying. <laughs> so let's pray together uh, and we'll pray for my tongue and all of our ears. And so would you pray with me and for our time in God's words to us today. Father, uh, it is uh, a knee-shaking uh, privilege to, to open your word, all of your word, and to talk about it and to talk about things that uh, we struggle to talk about culturally. Um, that we struggle to talk about as individuals and families, as a church family. Um, Lord, I just do ask that you would open up um, our minds and our hearts, that you would clear the air, that your spirit would go before my words um, and after my words, uh, and would you um, point us to you, Jesus. At the end of the day, that's what we want to grow in an adoration and affection for you. And would we see you bigger? Would you see you more believable and more beautiful to the eyes of our hearts? And Lord Jesus, would you meet us where we are um, on a rainy Sunday on a hot, hot topic? Uh, we ask for your mercy and your grace once again uh, to fill what is lacking. And Lord, uh, I pray for the carefulness of my words and the caring attention of these next several minutes. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. It was August 5th, 2012 in London, near the end of the Summer Olympics, and the theme song of the Chariots of Fire was playing in the background of an indoor arena. The gymnast, Michaela Maroney, is wearing her Team USA tracksuit and waiting to accept an Olympic medal for her gymnastics performance. When her name is called, the crowd cheers wildly. Michaela politely waves to the crowd, steps up to the podium, bows her head, and the medal is placed around her neck. Michaela mouths the thank you, politely smiles, and she receives a bouquet of uh, many colored, brightly colored flowers. But then, with her, her flowers hugged to uh, herself to cover her Olympic medal, Michaela can't hold back her frown of disappointment any longer. And for a split second, <laughs> a split second, you can see she pulls what everyone just calls the face. The face. It's a scowl, as you can see, it pulls her entire mouth sharply to the left side. And I'll save you the secret Google, as you can see, and just let you see the, the image with me. Take a moment to soak that in. Okay. Psychologist Lori Santos calls this look somewhere between annoyance and downright contempt. Clearly, Michaela is put out by her performance, the medal, the whole ceremony. 
So why was Michaela so unhappy? It was because of the color of the metal around her neck. It was silver, not gold. You see, she was the front runner to win the gold that year, and one small mistake, a fall in the vault competition had knocked her from first place. And so in our age of digital photography and the internet, Michaela's micro expression is vividly captured and then shared around the world and it becomes a meme for everyone uh, to put in front of the Apollo 11 moon landing or the fall of the Berlin Wall or Prince William's royal wedding or Miley Cyrus's haircut to say, I'm not impressed. <laughs> not only is Michaela's unimpressed scowl wildly candid as a facial expression, it also represents a moment of all of us that we would like to believe that we can't understand. Okay, but we actually totally get it. We want to believe there we are in the medal ceremony, chariots of fire raging in the background, and we think we've just won the second silver medal, second best place in the world at one sport, and that should be enough. But scientifically, it's proven that that reality we're told that to expect gold and whatever we're good at and that we would be disappointed too in that reality. I want to think about how we talk about leadership for just a minute. Leadership is doing whatever you do well, right? Even better, better, better than the rest. <laughs> and we're to lead by example. And really all that means is we're told to lead by looking great and not messing up to get and stay ahead of everyone else so that they can follow you. And while excellence has its place and men and women both do feel this demand for perfection in our society and just across history and cultures, writers like Valerie Frankel argue that this demand uniquely pressures women in the 21st century in America. In her book, Thin is the New Happy, Franco recounts this conversation with a younger woman named Stacy. Stacy says this, women our age are fighting a tougher battle than our mothers. They sought to be seen by men as more than decorative sexual objects for the right not to be judged by looks alone. Our generation is supposed to be CEOs, mothers, wives, expert lovers, have perfect bodies, run marathons, make a million dollars, be gourmet chefs, swing a golf club, never eat, never get tired. We are multitaskers, but we're not superhuman. The standard for what is expected of us and what we expect of ourselves is too high. We're supposed to be all things to all people, and we wonder why we're unhappy. Or listen to the way that Stacey Eldridge applies the same pressure to be enough to fix what's missing to women in the church. Oh, we long for intimacy and for adventure. We long to be the beauty of some great story. But the desires set deep in our hearts seem like a luxury, granted only to those women who get their acts together. The message to the rest of us, whether from a driven culture or a driven church, is try harder, try harder. But there has to be a remedy for the intense 21st century Lake Norman Davidson College women, how, we, how you all feel, right? And good leadership has to be better than just looking like, just saying or doing, try harder. Perhaps poor teaching and bad personal applications make this hard to believe. 
But Proverbs chapter 31 fills this void with Jesus in women's hearts and in 21st century leadership styles. This passage's answer to what's really needed to feel full, to feel fulfilled, is not a do-it-yourself home-knitting business. It's a summary verse, verse 30. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The answer is Jesus, the Lord. Therefore, in a sentence, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, and also we'll look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. In a sentence, these, these verses point us to this. Women need Jesus. And faith in Jesus alone produces true femininity and true servant leaders. This summary statement is intentionally similar to the summary statement I gave last week about men. And it's gonna be intentionally similar to the outline and the organization of the outline I gave last week. First, we're gonna focus on Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, to rediscover how men and women image God differently and fully. Second, we're gonna primarily focus on the beginning of our passage in Proverbs 31, especially verses 10 through 12 to discover what excellent women and servant leaders ought to look like. And then third, we're gonna primarily focus on the ending of the passage in Proverbs 31, specifically verses 28 through 31, to discover what Jesus does actually look like in and through the lives of excellent women. These points and these verses are in your sermon outline. They should be in your bulletin or behind me, perhaps even. All right, so last week, I got to do a little bit of recap. We discussed Genesis chapter one, verse 27, and I'm gonna read it again and what it says. So God created man that is humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him or it, humankind. Male and female, he created them. It does not use the words gender or biological sex in this verse, but verse 27 does differentiate between two kinds of human beings male and female. And it's significant to pause and not just to underscore that women and men equally image God, period. And there is a difference between men and women. And I just wanna acknowledge that this can be difficult to talk about. Physically, there can be blurry lines based on irregular anatomy or unusual hormone levels. And psychologically, there is such a thing as gender dysphoria. But while these conditions are part of our world that has fallen from creation's goodness, they are still extraordinary exceptions. And we're called, we're asked to most often live by this world's ordinary rules. Okay? To give you a metaphor, because that's what I do when I'm scared and in trouble, uh, here's a metaphor. There's a soccer game, right, can come down to sudden death where the next goal wins. It's called golden goal, right? But if you play a soccer game like it's golden goal, you're going to lose a lot of games. <laughs> because if you just play until the next goal is scored and then you stop and not, don't play the full 50, 90 minutes, then you're going to lose more often than not. Okay, so the exception does not prove to be the rules. Does that make sense? All right, you can contemplate that metaphor another time. Okay, so men and women equally image 
or are made equal and they image God differently in a way where each complements the other, like certain colors complement each other or the three different persons of the Trinity complement each other. In particular, men and women together display God's fullness, his full relational character. That's how he, God, relates within himself, the three persons of the Godhead, and also how he relates to human beings. By our distinct styles of relating to each other, each gender describes God's will. That is God's inviting and pursuing will, as well as God's accessibility, both his mystery and his knowability. So I'm repeating this biblical basis of differentiation for two reasons. To give us all the same starting place in this conversation and to tell you it matters that I'm a man preaching about what it means to be a woman. (laughs) Women of North Cross, (laughs) let me just confess something very obvious (laughs) to everyone. I am bile, oh, I have friends that are women. I live with three women. I pastor women regularly, but I am biologically and relationally different. And I don't have the same lived experiences as you all. I don't have ovaries. I don't think about potentially carrying human life. I'd have no idea what it feels like to endure other men's eyes staring all over me regularly. Really, I don't know firsthand the real fears that you feel in a parking lot late at night or the insecurities of dealing with pinup culture or whistles or tasteless come on lines. And I say all this to say my not being a woman makes me not want to preach on this at all. (laughs) I feel very intimidated and I worry about getting it all wrong. And so you have heard me and will hear me try to quote a bunch of women. But most of all, this is why you and I need to actually flee to the scriptures, to God's true words to us, because God is intimately familiar. He designed, he upholds, he rescues men and women both. And so let's run, not walk, to our passage, uh, which is Proverbs 31 this morning. And we're gonna look there and we're gonna see our second main point, what excellent women ought to look like, what servant leaders ought to look like. And so maybe you read this or you heard this and you thought, whoa, I'm a single woman or I don't have children and this passage hardly feels relevant about what it means to be me. Just start with verses 10 through 12. An excellent wife, the heart of her husband. And then down the passage's length, the many references to children in verse 28. Some of you read these verses and you think about yourself or you think about a friend or a family member and you think, this just isn't me. Or how does that apply to them? But the word translated wife is isha in the Hebrew. And isha oftentimes means woman. And so I would actually think a more proper and correct translation of this passage would be for the purposes of context, Isha means women. So it's about virtuous women. You see, this passage has been so, so misinterpreted (laughs) for so long because the examples given are meant to be just that, examples. (laughs) They are not meant to be instructions that we are supposed to reproduce exactly. Let me give you some for instances. So to be an excellent woman, 
You don't have to be a wife. You don't have to have children. Just like you don't have to knit. Just like you don't have to own land, including vineyards. (laughs) Verse 16. You can safely rent an apartment and shop for clothes at Target. (laughs) You don't have to live somewhere where you can dress your family for snow. Verse 21. Otherwise, we should all move north from North Carolina for at least this year. Proverbs 31 is a specific sketch of a general woman. Our focus should be on the character level virtues, like being wise in spirit and strong in resolution and kind, and not on particular circumstantial details, which we oftentimes fail and just focus on those things. But before we keep moving to the last section of Proverbs 31, we need to return to verse 10 and look at it more closely. Proverbs 31 verse 10 reads this way, an excellent wife, or I'd say excellent woman, who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Why is an excellent woman so scarce and so precious, more precious than diamonds? Verses 12 to 27 explore what makes women precious, and it comes down to something very few of us would actually put on top of our personal lists, male or female. A woman's excellence is her wisdom. It's her wisdom. According to commentator Alan Ross, the passage shows a woman practicing wisdom in every sphere of her life. At home, verses 15 and 27. In business, verses 13 through 14 and verse 18. In the marketplace, verse 24. And in charity, verse 20. This woman, any woman's ability to bless and be blessed in these kinds of arenas is due to her wise character. Practice traits like ingenuity and work ethic and kindness. And so a woman is more precious than a jewel because of her character, her wisdom, and her love of Jesus. Biblically, these are what make you truly a woman. And so it should not surprise us that Paul picks up where Proverbs left off and his letter to Titus. Paul advises the church on how to identify and equip women servant leaders. Titus chapter two, verses three through four say this. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to so to train the young women. This is the heart behind North Cross's desire to appoint and train a women's care team in order to assist in our church's shepherding in general and to mentor our church's women in particular, to meet with and to check in on women, to have eyes and ears for all of the hurting, to be an advocate and a voice for women in the congregation, and also a compassionate voice and advocate to this church's deacons and elders and staff. We wanna be wise, reverent, and we want wise, reverent, and caring women to feel their worth, to be formally and highly regarded, to exercise their gifts, and to know and to live and to teach what is good. That's not just good behavior, but the good reason for good behavior the gospel, the good news of Jesus's unconditional love for us. Let me just add two thoughts before we leave. Titus chapter two, uh, before we leave Titus chapter two and return to Proverbs 31, I'm gonna add two thoughts. First, just like how Paul in his description of officers in 1 Timothy 3 is meant to encourage all men to move into relationships with vulnerability, like elders and deacons are specifically called to do in a local church, So too, Paul's descriptions of older women in Titus, these descriptions are meant to encourage all women 
to intentionally invite others into relationships that promote what is good, the good news of the gospel. Second, when we look at passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 2 together, there's going to be this tension that we've got to uphold. On the one hand, the Bible still describes deacons and elders in church as men. We talked about this last week. I would love to talk about this more. <laughs> and so if you're interested, follow up with me or I have a reading selection for you. It's very short. Kathy Keller wrote a little booklet called Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. I'd look at that and see, but I'd love to talk to you about it. And we want to have, this is an opening for a dialogue there. So on the one hand, there's a biblical witness of ordaining men as deacons and elders. On the other hand, for far too long, often out of fear, frankly, churches like ours have struggled to esteem and equip women who are doing ministry as the very body of Christ, his hands and his feet. And this is something unloving and something that we need to confess and we need to repent about. And this need to give regard to women, to give room for women to minister, leads us nicely into the last section of Proverbs 31. Verses 28 through 31, and their description of the rewards of women living in wisdom. And of what Jesus' true ministry in and through women looks like. That's our third and final point. Okay, there's the final four verses show the fruits and the praises womanly wisdom receives. Who here doesn't want people to rise up and call you blessed? It's a great, it's a great image. Sunbathing in my own success and praising the city gates. Thank you. Sign me up, right? But verse 30 saves this passage from the pressures of our own perfectionism. You know, like just another laundry list of self-improvement by trying harder. Verse 30 tells us that women uh, are not to define yourselves by what you do or how you look. Why is this a temptation? Why is this the temptation according to verse 30? Why are women tempted to lead with what they do or how they look instead of wisdom and reverence and compassion, let alone training in what's good? The answer is wisdom, reverence, compassion, and training are really, really, really difficult. <laughs> okay? They require a long obedience in the same direction. And when you do them well, you often feel like you're failing. Right? The wisest person often feels like she's the most ignorant. Right? The true compassion feels like you can always do more. The most reverent feels so selfish. And good training always feels so incomplete. Like there's so much more to learn and to teach. So if men run around asking the question to everyone they respect, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Women run around asking everyone they love, do I have value? Do I have value or am I just useful to you? And this fear of not being cherished for who you are leads to doing. Doing things that display competence or demonstrate how necessary you are as a wife, a girlfriend, a friend, or a daughter. And this is why verse 30 tells women, charm is deceitful. A charm is something that a woman does to be needed. And it deceives because it gives a counterfeit kind of love. 
a love, a desirability for what you do versus who you are. Instead of rooting value in what's valuable, fearing the Lord, women can try to choose their charms to get the care and adoration they desire. Some women primarily focus their charms professionally, restlessly accomplishing for a job title or a salary or a kind of work that can make you feel special in society. Some women, other women, the same women, define themselves by charming home life, whether that's lots of children outpacing all of their peers in Bible study memorization or being seen and not heard, or maybe that's just a few children, just a few children outpacing their peers in specialized activities and achievements. Whether you compare yourself to people who live near you or you compare yourself to people on social media, these are the things that are running at a heart level. And I love the honesty of a friend of mine who I reached out to in desperation named Jen. And she describes the pressures and fears of being a new mom. I'm imagining that a lot of you can relate to this in our church. We have a lot of new moms. She recently shared how having a newborn feels so scary because you're so fully in charge of a new life, another life. And so overwhelming because there's so many opinions and experts out there whether friends or blogs, pay-to-play Instagram influencers, or well-meaning mothers-in-law. And so when you have this like little baby who's struggling to f- sleep through the night, here comes the instant streaming list of things to do, right? The right products, the right techniques, the, right, the perfect schedule, the perfect amount of peer play or tummy time. How do you introduce solid foods? What's the best way to do it? New way to do it. Do you do cereal? Do you do purees? Do you let them grab food with their fingers? Do you use a spoon? Everyone has an opinion and it is held and it is spoken strongly. (laughs) But Jen ended her Marco Polo to me in tear with this gospel reminder. You can't save your children. You can't save yourself. You can't manufacture this perfect little life. But verse 30 is not finished. Other women, often the same women, are not just tempted to find themselves by charms of what they do. A woman can also define herself by how she looks, by her body, by her style, her home, and even her friends and her children and her family. In the words of verse 30, beauty is vain. Beauty is vain. Again, if a woman's heart is asking, what if I, what I am won't be delighted in? If that's the question, what if what I am won't be delighted in? There can be an almost compulsive temptation to find power and desirability in how you look and how it does, and what how you look does to men and other women. But constantly pulling up, tucking in, and pouting out your body frantically up-downing the people around you and compulsively researching online for just the right new leggings or Apple accessory or home decor, managing your self-image so that you're thin enough, young enough, sexy enough, put together and lovely enough to not get hurt again, to make those friends or that man not walk out or walk away or retreat inside and take their love with them again. This is how is this not in vain? How is this not chasing after or trying to hug and hold tight the wind. But trying harder, no matter how charming, no matter how beautiful, no matter if you're a leader or you're a follower, trying harder to look great or to not mess up, this will just make you more frustrated. 
because it won't fill that hole in your heart. At the end of the day, what matters, what makes you valuable, is not what you do or how you look, but who you love, Jesus. And more importantly, Jesus has historically proven love for you. Women or man, this love defines you defines me, women. This love gives you the affection and the value you're truly after. This love begins to fill that hole in your soul. You see, being a real woman or a true servant leader, having excellent character, exercising wisdom, whether it's in the home or the marketplace, all of these lofty things come from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. From rising up in all of our brokenness and calling him blessed, excellent or a mess, man or woman, fearing Jesus alone is what actually makes us praiseworthy. So let me return to August 5th, 2012, near the end of the Summer Olympics in London, while Michaela Maroney is visibly scowling at herself for not quite being enough, for placing second, the third place finisher, the gymnast Maria Paseca, was visibly beaming, <laughs> genuinely hugging her competitors. The Olympic officials was, was waving enthusiastically to all of her fans. What was the difference? I mean, after all, one of them won silver better and one of them won bronze worse. Maria Paseca almost didn't get an Olympic medal and she knew it. And she just was excited to be up on the podium at all. Winning felt like grace, a gift. And Michaela was looking at the gold medalist, feeling less valuable, while Maria was looking all around, taking in the scene, grateful just to be there. Look, if Jesus has won it all through his cross and through his resurrection, if he has stood at the right hand of the Father and called you blessed, you can stop comparing yourself as a mother, a wife, a girlfriend, a daughter, a student, a friend. You are truly enough. If Jesus is looking at you from heaven and praising you to the angels at the pearly gates saying, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all, you don't have to prove your use or your beauty anymore. Who you are is being truly delighted in. And so you can notice how the insecurities build and how they spin out into the need to stage the details of a model woman's life in your life. And so you can let the baby cry. You can leave the meeting early. You can wear sweatpants outside of your room or outside of your house. You can turn off the calendar notification just for now. And you can look around you could take in the scene and you can visibly smile or gratefully reach out to pull in those around you, even in the church around you and invite them into what's good. Why? How? Because. Because you can say, I am who you say I am, who the son sets free is free indeed. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I'm a child of God. Would you pray with me?
Father, um, your spirit just has to work. <laughs> um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to try to speak um, your words uh, to people um, in this church. And Lord, I'm also uh, aware of so many shortcomings in the process, but I'm thankful that you make up the difference. And I'm thankful that your word has power. And it does not return to you void. And I pray that you'd once again prove the glory that, um, that you care, that you care about these people in front of me and these people who are watching at home and worshiping with us at home. Would you meet them in the only ways that you can do that? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.